Today I'm recording from a soccer practice, a youth soccer practice, where hundreds of kids will fill up an indoor facility uh, to play for about 75 minutes, uh, coach-led instruction. Right now, uh, a group of young girls are out on the, on the field playing uh, a variety of drills. They'll be doing kind of ball handling drills with the soccer ball, um, kind of two-on-two drills. I'm not a soccer player, so I don't know exactly what I'm talking about, but they'll also do some scrimmaging on a short field where they'll have groups of four or five girls playing against other groups of four or five, um, again, for about 75 minutes. Now, it's great to see the, the kids out here have, seemingly having fun and uh, you can hear, you can probably hear them laughing and running and being active, which is great. Um, at the same point, there, this, what I'm seeing right now as I'm sitting here gets, gets at some of the uh, concerns we have about youth sport. This is a private soccer club that I'm watching um, that, again, provides really good resources for kids. It provides some really excellent coaches. Um, it allows a lot of kids who have desires to play soccer in high school or even college. It allows them to get exposed to some really, really good coaches and teammates and competition at, a, at an early stage. So, so these girls will be traveling uh, to play competition from around the, the southern part of Wisconsin. They'll also be playing teams from Illinois and Iowa, probably Minnesota, Indiana. A lot of schools, not schools, these are not schools, a lot of clubs throughout the Midwest. Um, these are girls ranging in age from about 10 until, until about 14. So again, we're talking about travel soccer. There's research on uh, youth sports to talk about here. Um, I've talked about some uh, some uh, statistics and data in other places um, about this that we as coaches and as leaders need to be aware of and maybe think about how can we um, better understand this data and, and once we do understand it, how can we act upon it in ways that will be good for kids and good for families. I'm gonna read just a few statistics. So, um, some of this is financial. Um, there's a, one statistic, this comes from some research from the Families and Sport Lab, I believe it's called, at Utah State University. Um, Travis Dorsch, professor there, um, has some really good work in this area. One of his uh, studies found that over 60% of parents will pay between $1,200 and $6,000 per year on their children's sports. I'll say that again. So this would be of, of, of parents who have kids in youth sport, which is a huge and growing segment of our population. Over 60% of them will pay between $1,200 and $6,000 per year on their kids' sports. That's um, a big number. It gets even more jarring when you see that 
nearly 20% of parents will pay close to $12,000 per year on youth sports. 12,000 a year just on sports. So that's a that's a that's like a private school, an expensive private school tuition number that, that is being spent on you know hockey or lacrosse, tennis, soccer, a range of sports. Um, there's lots we could say about that. One, one again, there's always balance in all of these things. But um, sport is a healthy thing. It's it's good for kids to be active. It's great that we know about the lessons that are being learned here. We know that it's, um, we learn about resilience and work ethic and teamwork, collaboration. Um, we learn to kind of master our skills, which is a good thing. We get deliberate practice. So all those things are in the background here. It could, it could be worse. A lot of things could be worse. But when we start talking about that kind of a big number of dollars, a couple things jump to mind. The one obvious one is like who gets to play and, and how many people can afford that that amount of money. Um, that's one thing to think about. There are just a lot of if, if it costs that much to play kind of competitive youth sport. How many people are being left and, and when are they getting left behind? Uh, the answer is a lot in the in, at younger and younger ages. So as as sport gets more and more expensive um, at younger ages. More and more kids are getting left behind at younger ages. So a second monetary kind of concern, I guess, is um, what happens kind of psychologically or emotionally when that much money is spent. And we know, again, from some of the same research I cited a little bit ago, um, that you know Professor Dorsch and others have found that as the amount of money that is spent on, in this case, soccer, as that goes up, um, so too do pressures on kids go up. <clears throat> and actually, some of their work has found that the more that's spent on a, on a given kid or team, um, the less they enjoy it, the less the kids enjoy it. They start to, the, the interesting piece in one of these articles was to me the the shift from viewing sport as a kind of developmental activity one where we you know we, we play sport in order to, to develop ourselves as young people whether physically or in other ways to sport as an investment so if I invest the money in this child now for these indoor soccer in the middle of January it will pay off because she or he will, will get a college scholarship. So it's like a, a wise financial investment. And that's just wrong. Like that's a, that's a horrible investment strategy. We know that because if you're taking the amount of money we're talking about here and you would invest that in you know, a college savings account or, or a lot of other things, you'd get much better return on your investment. Um, I wonder how many of the parents who are sitting in this room know how few soccer scholarships are actually available at the kind of Division One college level, um, and even at big schools like big Power Five conference schools, if they would recognize that you know scholarships are shared, um, there are a lot of kids who are playing kind of 
for very partial dollar amounts. Uh, you can call them scholarship soccer players, but they the scholarship they get may be just a drop in the bucket of what the bigger tuition costs are. I don't think a lot of parents know this. So those are, th those are some concerns related to the finances of it. Um, now to say a couple more things. These kids who are here tonight are, are, again, this is January that I'm talking. We don't often think of January as soccer season, but th these kids, a lot of them are, are having like a training tonight. They also will, uh, this is a Monday night I'm here. They'll be practicing a, a couple of times this week and then they'll, they'll be playing in indoor games during the week and then futsal, which is kind of like a variation on indoor soccer. It's played kind of like on a basketball court. They'll be playing that on the weekend. Um, again, lots of fun. A lot of them enjoy it. The kids are having fun. You can hear their laughter. Um, but playing soccer year-round um, might eliminate other opportunities for kids. So they, you know, whether some of these kids used to play basketball or play soccer, or I'm sorry, play hockey or or other kind of traditional winter sports, maybe swimming or other things, um, that they're challenged to be able to do those sports and this level of soccer at the same time. So that's this is a this is a a pressure to move toward more highly specialized athletics at a young age, which again is a something we know very very clearly from research is not a good thing for kids. The longer we can delay that specialization, the better. Um, their bodies are still developing. Who knows, you know, what they're going to like in a couple of years or what their bodies will be like in a couple of years. Um, so there's just not a lot of evidence that this is, you know, a, a smart decision strategically for, for parents, families, kids to leave everything behind for one sport. So what does this have to do with coaches? So what does this have to do with uh, those who are interested in coaching maybe at like a club level or at a high school level or even at a college level? How do, do we just kind of keep doing what we do without any kind of response to this? I actually think that we have a responsibility in, in the kind of coaching field to, to address this. The soccer programs like the one I'm watching now, or or youth basketball programs, youth baseball programs, youth softball programs. Almost every sport these days has like these kind of high-powered clubs. Um, I'm in Wisconsin, but you're talking the same thing in California or New York or anywhere in between. They're really good at um, communicating a a message to parents at a young age. They're really good at telling parents of a 10-year-old that if your daughter wants to play big-time soccer or your son wants to play big-time baseball, he or she better do it year-round right now or they're going to miss out. They're going to miss out on the opportunity. And they do it because they want to make money. These, these sports are expensive. They, these buildings are getting erected all around our country um, for, for youth sport. Um, and that, that the cost is significant 
to build them, to maintain them, to have these kind of professionalized staffs that they have. And they're really good at marketing what they do. They're really good at selling a message to parents. A lot of these are really good people. Like I know a lot of these coaches closely and worked with a lot of them closely. They're really good people. But um, so they're not like out there with malicious intent. But I do think that there's a momentum to the system where a lot of people are just going along with it. A lot of people are going with the flow and they see or sense that they don't have a choice. Everyone else is doing it, so we have to do it. All the other soccer clubs are practicing year-round, so we need to. All the other families are playing on this travel team, so we need to. There's this fear of missing out that is strong. And there's a strong message on one hand that you better do it or you're going to miss out. And there's not a consolidated message right now at the grassroots level that's educating parents and kids uh, and even coaches about some of the things I just talked about, let alone the physical things which we've talked about in other places. So I see an increasingly important responsibility um, for coaches to communicate what we know from solid research about the finances of youth sport, the finances of um, what's a good investment and what's not for families, many of whom are making sacrifices in other parts of their lives um, for what they feel will be a good financial decision, which is just not true. Um, and, and more importantly, we need to communicate about the kind of psychological and physical welfare research that we know um, in the world of youth sports. Coaches need to be kind of the front, on the front lines of that communication, and we can be. That, that, that can be done at the, at the um, kind of high school level, at the community level. Um, but especially these days, I think it can also happen where some of our, our prominent college coaches and some of our even, even prominent professional coaches can be voices um, of, of significance here. They have a platform already. We've heard some people like Kobe Bryant in the past coming out about how bad AAU basketball was. And it, that got a lot of attention. We hear a lot less, though, about um, you know, kind of some of our uh, kind of uh, prominent college basketball coaches or prominent uh, soccer coaches speaking out about this research and letting parents know um, what's good and what's not good. So there's a lot of room for improvement there. I think that leaders at, at universities can make inroads here. I think that leaders um, in kind of the broader public sector can speak out here. Um, and I think that leaders at, even in public school systems can, can speak out here to make, to make this research more known and to make um, good, healthy opportunities available for kids and not, and not to put the squeeze on families to make them think that they have to take a certain road that is not a healthy one. This is a change. This, is, this was not the case 20 years ago. This, this kind of creeping of specialization, this creeping of the, the hyper-intense club sports world was nowhere near what it is today. So if, if, if we don't change what we do as coaches, if we don't change 
how we communicate and what we communicate about as coaches, this momentum will just continue and it will have physical effects. It's already having physical effects on kids. It will have um, social effects for all the kids who are getting kind of weeded out early. Um, and it will have competitive effects. Uh, simply put, these kids will not be better um, if they're burnt out and injured and uh, so specialized at such a young age. So this is a challenge. I'm, I'm excited to um, see some of the people who are making really good strides in this world. Uh, some of our researchers here at, at the University of Wisconsin are doing that. Um, some of the really good leaders at the Aspen Sports Institute are doing it. Or the, I'm sorry, the Aspen Institute, where they, they look at uh, research in youth sport. Um, Professor Dorch at Utah State, um, and then a lot of other good people out there. We need to um, continue to look to their work and um, learn from them.